You're listening to The Other Side, a podcast designed to help people, regardless of their experience, figure out how to make that leap and thrive in the ever-changing and chaotic business world. I'm James Awana, a recent graduate who's trying to find his place in this crazy world. And I'm Renata Squario, a senior executive of 30 years, who's worked in some of Australia's largest organisations. And as my daughters grow up, I want this to be my legacy them and the next generation. The world of work is changing and I want to help them and you thrive on the other side. Hello and welcome to the Other Side podcast. I'm James and with me is Ren and we ran out of time in the other episode, Ren, talking to talk about assessment centres. We were so uh, enveloped, if you will, talking about me <laughs> In, in the interview and in interview processes and, you know, just general tips and tricks for interviews that we ran out of time to talk about group interviews. And it's very applicable to me at the moment. Uh, listeners, a little insight into my life. I have well, technically my second group interview, but the first one was like 10 years ago, so we won't count that. I will say that this is my first group interview of my professional career and I am crapping myself because I don't like group interviews. I think it's just everyone trying to go alpha on everyone else. So um, this is as much about me learning as it is about you learning and maybe with the power of editing we can come back halfway through the podcast and I can give you my thoughts about how my group interview went and if I performed or if I uh, cracked under pressure and just had a mare of uh, an interview. Oh, I love that idea, James. That's really, uh, it's very in the moment, isn't it? So how about we do that? How about we spend half the podcast preparing you? Because we literally were going to do that tonight. And then we thought, if we're doing that, we may as well just uh, just go ahead and, and use that as our assessment centre episode. And then maybe we come back and do the second half about you debriefing your experience and uh, sharing with us what, what your reflections were. Depends if I have PTSD or not. I'm going to make you do this. The listeners will want to hear from you, James. Interestingly, I, I have a number, as, as I think I've mentioned in some of the other episodes, I have a number of the most beautiful graduates or uni students in my life. A lot of my friends have uni students that are either at uni or have just finished. And the, the beautiful James and I, as you know, have been working together for for a little while. Anyway, and one of the graduates, um, actually I should say one of the, the boys who is actually the son of one of my very good friends from school, he has recently just joined a graduate program at one of the really large brands in Australia, I won't say which one, but uh, interestingly, when we were debriefing his assessment centre experience, as he has now thought about it six months into the graduate program, his exact words were, I wish that they had taught me what I know now in the first six months, in the six months before the assessment centre, because if I had known then what I know now, and some of the I guess, investment that I've made in myself, particularly around human skills and the approach to group dynamics. If I'd known that before the assessment centres, it would have been just so much better. And and I guess, listeners, that is one of the reasons why I have started MaxMe and this concept of 
we really, really just need to be ready to work in groups when we join the workforce. And it's it's more and more and more. This decade is going to be marked by clear need for collaboration, working in groups, self-awareness, influencing conflict management, all of those things that I talk about in particular through, through the MaxMe method. And so he was very much adamant that it would have been a much better experience for him had he have known all the things that he knew six months later. So here we are trying to bring you that thinking and that experience before you go to the assessment centres and we're going to practice with James. So James, I guess for me I have run and observed many assessment centres. I've worked for a, a large bank, very involved in the graduate program, I was one of those people with the clipboard sitting around the table with the groups, observing, writing notes, looking very ominous and, you know, making making the people that sitting at the table, those poor student graduates, uh, really sweat. And so the insight that I have around the process is it is a very, very important way to show how you show up in groups. You're right. Some people still come to those groups going all alpha, I think you called it, wanting to be domineering, wanting to have all the answers, wanting to be the only person that's being heard, interrupting, being the first to say something because that's what they're thinking the assessment people are looking for. But I can tell you as someone who has run many assessment centres, that is not what the assessment people are looking for. What they are looking for is people who are mindful, aware, think about others, want to bring minority voices out, want to be heard themselves if they are a more introverted person and can find ways to, to contribute meaningfully in tough situations. Because guess what? In the workforce, solving complex customer problems, that's no walk in the park. You will join companies and you will need to solve complex problems in diverse teams of people who have very, very different points of view to one another, there will be conflict and you will need to be the best you can be and show up in a really good way every day and work in teams. So that's why the assessment centres are there, to show what you're like and how you show up. What are your thoughts on that, James, as, I, as I'm sharing that? Yeah, well, I don't even know what they test or do in the assessment centres. Like, are they giving me problem-solving thingies I don't know what the word is you know. yeah so so case studies I think yeah is sure <laughs> I think thingies is the scientific word very much the scientific word it certainly made me laugh I'm sure our listeners are laughing too um, yeah so I don't know what they're testing what they're looking for um, how do I show mindfulness how do I not alpha people to show mindfulness myself I just generally I'm not really sure what to expect or how to hold myself so the first thing I'll say is, I think I've shared this in one of the other episodes, but I may not have, is a leader once told me, Renata, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Double the listening, half the talking. So the first thing I'll say to you, James, as you prepare for group interviews or assessment centres is, yes, they will give you problem-solving case studies and they will sometimes be out there or a bit difficult or hard to understand because they're trying to test the edge cases or the edge people in those scenarios and trying to really get 
I guess, some of the negative characteristics to come to the fore because often when we're stressed or our back is against the wall, our true tendencies come out, which is, I guess, what we would call derailers. So they will give you some things that will really test you because they know that the graduates are there trying to show their best self to get the job, obviously, right? So what they'll be looking out for are people who are good at listening, good at engaging with what else is going on around them and listening authentically, not just kind of, you know, eyes glazed over but nodding or smiling because they think that's what is the assessors are looking for, right? Good engagement, facial expression. That's what we are looking for, but we're looking for authenticity in that. And I can tell you right now, as someone who's done a fair few of these, you can tell the people who are putting that on and pretending versus the people who are truly listening to what the others are saying. Because really, and, and we'll explain, we'll explore a lot more of this, particularly through the MaxMe online offering, is this concept of interdependence in teamwork when the team is working as a team of champions versus a champion team if you are operating as a champion team where each individual understands their role in the group and when they come together they know they're much more powerful than they are as separate individuals working apart that's the mindset you have in teamwork the company will flourish and the customers will be delighted that's my absolute experience in any company that I've worked that's really got the customer thing down pat, that's the way that company operates. They operate in teams where people understand their place and they want to work together to get the best possible outcomes from each other and for the customer. So back to the assessment centre, that's what the assessors are looking for. How do you participate when you're problem solving, sometimes difficult, complex problems, what kind of person comes out, particularly when it gets hard or something might be mentally challenging or requires creative thinking? How do you as a person show up in that group dynamic? And I can tell you that the people who do really authentic listening and then powerfully play back what they've heard to the group for the benefit of the group to be able to move forward together, they're the people that have stood out for me in assessment centres where the person understands that they can really listen, they can understand, they can add their own thoughts or add their own flair to it and then participate in the very next thing that they say in a really meaningful value-add way. Not just regurgitate, not just play back for the sake of being heard, not, for, not, not just say something for the sake of being seen, but actually have listened to what the group is saying have applied their own filter and play back something which becomes very, very powerful and the group can then take forward and build on again. That is a very, very important trait to show in assessment centres. Not the alphas that need to be heard or that are saying it for the sake of saying it or have really nothing to say and find a way to say it anyway, which is very annoying. But those people that are truly listening to understand and then to add value. Does that help? I mean, I'll have to experience it for myself, but in a theoretical, in a theoretical, you know, uh, standpoint, that, that it makes a lot of sense, and you know, eases a bit of that. You know. Well, not known, right? And, yeah. I, and I'd be interested because I think, as you practice this, and you know, you'll be through hopefully a number of assessment centres, unless you land this very next role, and it's the dream role. 
and and you only get better at it as you practice. And as I said to you, my my friend's son said to me, I wish that I'd had the six months experience before the assessment centres, at least in a little bit, so that I knew what to expect, and I knew how to how to behave in that context. I think it's I think it's something to think about. And and again, in that concept of balcony and dance floor, if you're in the da- if you're on the dance floor the whole time and you're dancing. You don't lift yourself up to the de- balcony and observe what's happening on the dance floor. You're not actually be able, going to be able to work out what to do next. So I think for you as you go into this assessment centre, some of this thinking might help you to pause and actually almost remove yourself from the group and observe what they're doing so that the next thing that you do can be really powerful. The people who have the ability in group settings, particularly when it gets really tough, or there's a lot of conflict, or the group gets stuck, those people, and this is real world stuff, guys, not just assessment centres, those people who have the knack of removing themselves, pausing and reflecting, what's going on here, why is the group stuck, and then going away and quickly formulating something that they can inject back into the group to help the group move forward, those people are gold. And they are the ones that make the biggest difference in workplaces. So the other day when we sort of briefly touched on the group uh, interview that I was preparing for, you said that there might be, that there are a few sort of key phrases that you can use, not necessarily in a regurgitation way, but to understand what what you should do in the group interview. Could you just take me through some of those key sentences or ideas? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as you step back, reflect, look at what the group is doing and formulate something to bring back into the group that's helpful and, again, the assessors will think, wow, that was a great move. You could use terminology and, and again, two ears, one mouth, more listening, less talking. It's a lot more powerful to ask a question than make a statement. So those people that make statements sometimes in the wrong context can appear arrogant and know-it-alls. And so what one of the things that I've absolutely myself been practicing for a very long time over a long period uh, and a career is to stop myself from having all the answers and to, to, to sort of, I guess, pose a question to the people that I'm working with to get them thinking so that the next thing that we do together can actually be more creative so rather than say something like if you're in a group dynamic and someone has said an alpha thing or a direct thing and you don't agree, rather than coming in and going, I disagree or that's not right or that's a silly way to think about it, not that you'd necessarily say that, but you know, in that tone, rather than doing that, pose a question. So to the person who's just made that fairly obnoxious statement – actually pose a question back to them. So let's say it's you were the one who said the obnoxious question, James. I might turn around and say, thanks for that point of view, James. I think I'm not quite sure what you meant. Do you mind just taking me, you know, taking me through your thinking process or helping me understand a bit more where you're coming from so that I can actually rationalise or understand it? Because at the moment I'm a bit stuck. See how I'm posing that as a question Hopefully, James, you won't take that too much to heart or you might because if you're an arrogant person, you won't want to be challenged. But you might feel, therefore, 
also the ability to stop yourself and pause because sometimes when somebody plays back to you a question, you go, oh, my goodness, I must have come across as a bit direct or arrogant even. And it gives you the chance to pause and regroup and actually almost try and dig yourself out of the hole if possible. So actually I might be doing you a favour, giving you a point of view of the way you've just come across and actually you can restate your opinion maybe a bit softer or in a different way and the group might not be so taken aback by this direct statement that you made and actually be able to reconnect and move forward together. So posing a question rather than making a direct statement is the thing that I would recommend. However, don't be the, uh, the annoying person that keeps posing questions and avoiding making a statement because sometimes a statement is exactly what the group needs. But again, choose your words carefully. Make sure that the group doesn't think that you're coming across as a know-it-all. So if you're going to put a point of view forward and you should be brave and you should put points of view forward, particularly when you think you've got a strong point of view on something, after you've done some listening and worked out what the group is saying, overlaying your lens and then making a statement is okay. But make sure that the language that you choose is, is softer language or I guess more targeted to the whole rather than just yourself. So if you wanted to make a statement about something like, you know, if you've been given a problem and, you know, how would you fix this customer issue? Here's a set of circumstances. The customers are unhappy. What would you do? It's okay to say, well, actually, now that I've heard the group and, you know, I've overlaid my own thinking, I actually think this is what I would do. I would, you know, go and speak to some customers. I would go and look at the feedback. I would get some insights. So it's okay to not pose a question. It's okay to make a statement. But make sure that you soften that by bringing in the we rather than the me, particularly in those group assessments. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how tomorrow goes then. Yeah, I think we should. All right. Well, look, probably a good time to pause, listeners. Hopefully hopefully that's given you enough to think about uh, just in terms of preparing for assessment centres and then we will be back with you once James is through the um, <laughs> the thing that I think, what did you say? You're crapping yourself. Hopefully that doesn't offend anyone. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're keen to hear from you, James, on the other side of this group assessment centre interview thing e that you're going to do. All right, listeners, we will be back with you shortly. Welcome back. So it probably feels like a second, but actually it's been a week since we last spoke to you. And as promised, James has now been through his first assessment centre slash group interview. And he's definitely keen to share some of his insights for, from that uh, process. So I might just hand over to you, James, without further ado. Uh, sure. It was definitely an interesting experience. We talked about alphaing uh, in inverted commas previous in the previous half of this podcast, and we said that they're kind of obnoxious and you know you don't want to replicate what what you what you think an alpha would be like. But it was kind of interesting that in this group interview that the the focus the that's kind of what they wanted which was really unusual i mean i was a bit what's the word taken uh, aback by it yeah I, w- I was a bit measured going into the group assessment um just sort of let things play out and then react 
Um, you know, a bit nervous, uh, just the normal pre-interview things. So to then have a guy, just a random guy from the company come in and say, you know, none of you look like you want to work here, all your body language is wrong, started swearing at a few of us and um, it was a bit bit intense. Like they were very cultural centric and they were like, you know, they said a lot of weird things like, you know, if you come in on Monday morning and you tell someone to don't talk to me till I've had my morning coffee, then, you know, you can F off and blah, 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 then this and F off. And I was like, right, okay. And I will say, James, you did tell me obviously offline that this had all happened. I'm going to say that is an extremely unusual set of circumstances that you described. Certainly I've never come across anything like that. So I was very thrown off, as you'd probably expect, because I was, you know, going in trying to be measured, trying to be, you know, the best version of me, and I kind of retreated back into my nervous joke-making shell where I didn't really know what to do or what to say. Um, it It was just a really unusual experience, and I was really thrown, was not prepared for what was what was coming. And I think it's important, I know you'll, you'll share with our listeners what you did to recover, because you said you did get through the process and, you know, you participated, etc. So it'll be keen for them to hear about that, because, hey, guess what? Sometimes life throws you curveballs when you least expect it. I do want to pause, though, and say that and stress, you know, that's not a normal set of circumstances in a group interview. Uh, perhaps it was the culture that this company that you had the interview with want to espouse and I guess they want people they want to be really upfront with people so that you don't end up joining a company joining the company and going wow this is really not for me and that would be a big waste of time for everybody but the normal state of affairs on group interviews is that they really just give give you a chance to 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 be yourself and to get the most out of you so uh, in my opinion, the, the you know the tips that we gave our listeners in the first half of this podcast in ninety seven percent of assessment centres will work for you. And interestingly, when you first told me what had happened, my my mind automatically went to: Were they testing you? So were they giving you these set of circumstances that weren't actually what the company's like, but they were trying to throw you in the deep end and see how you would react? That's where my mind went first. But then you described that actually the whole assessment centre was like that. So actually it really was real and and perhaps a reflection of the culture of that company. But I do think, James, you, you probably realised through that process, which is goodness, that the company's not for you. Yeah, it was it was it was wild. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, just from from the get go, before we'd even like introduced ourselves, it was just. I was like, what is going on here? But irrelevant um, to the listeners, a bit of a weird experience for me. We'll get into the useful part of it now, I guess. And, you know, obviously we started with introducing the person next to you, um, you know, just some standard questions um, that you, you know, kind of the listening and regurgitating, I guess. Well, yeah, they were testing, Could you? can you listen to someone else's story and then play back that story? And make a bit of a quick connection within within one minute with someone. Um, so, you know, that was standard. I, I thought we'd got back on track. Um, <laughs> you with, wished. <laughs> excuse me, with, with that 
exercise. Um, the next one we did a blind, so there was eight of us in a group. There were 16 in the, the assessment centre. Um, only three were going for my job. So they're, they're a growing company, so they had multiple people there um, for different jobs. So the next task was for eight of us, so half of the group to, we were all blindfolded and given a gigantic bunch of wire and told to make a square within one minute. And only one person would be given the wire to begin with. So we then had to communicate and create a square without the rope, the wire rope touching the floor. Uh, and we only had a minute. And you had to work as a group? Yeah. And it was a bit... Again, it was a bit, it was just weird. Like, I understand the concept um, and probably my group just, people just kept trying to talk over each other, trying to, like, take the lead. And this goes back to kind of, you know, it was kind of counterintuitive to ask people to be an alpha, for lack of a better term, at the start, you know. They wanted people to talk up and be confident and yada, 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 which is great, fine. But it kind of meant that people were being weren't being authentic to themselves. And it just meant when we did group activities, people were just talking over each other. And I'm just sitting there listening to other people, you know, almost yell at each other like, oh, no, we got to do this. Eventually I spoke up and was like, all right, guys, you know. Calm the farm. You know, what we need to do is get two people per corner, start using your hands to feel around where other people are, and start to work together, work in pairs. No one listened to me. Everyone just kept like yelling like, oh, no, we got got to do this, that and the other. And eventually when we took our, off our blindfolds, we'd created a perfect circle and it was nothing near a square and we just looked like idiots. So I think we should pause there, James, because it's like incredible learning what you've just described. You did not tell me about this exercise. So I think it's it's really important for us to stop there. First of all, they were absolutely testing people's ability to work in teams. That is a kind of 101 example of, you know, putting people in an extreme situation and then seeing how they work together. I do agree with you that the, the scene that they set with you from the outset, which was, you know, this is an alpha environment and, you know, we're after people who are, you know, going to smash yeah. through. Go-getters. Go-getters. You know, all about work, you know. Right. No, that, almost no work-life balance, but your work-life balance is your work. It was super unusual. So I think they probably started you off on the wrong footing. But even that, you can recover from it. And actually you did. So what's pleasing to hear from you is you took on your natural role in groups, which I think we've talked about in other series, in, in other episodes. You tend to sit back, listen, observe, take it in and then offer up good ideas, which we actually spoke about in the first half of this podcast. One of the things that are very, very important in group dynamics is people that are willing to listen and then speak. And when they speak, to to sort of give the group a sense of what did we just talk about, what did we agree, how do I offer up an opinion that will get the group to move forward in a positive way. You tried to do that and it sounds like your group didn't listen to you a big problem in workplaces today actually it happens every day so that's the beauty of this learning yeah 
people don't work well together. They they think that the role they need to play is to have all the ideas, have all the be answers, leader, be the leader. Actually, you don't need all leaders. You need doers as well. And I think what you're what you've just described is a really good example of where teamwork goes goes wrong. Well, it was actually interesting when when the lady taking the group interview asked what we did well. One of our group members said that we had an appointed leader. And I just thought to myself, are you kidding me, mate? Like, we did not appoint anyone. He was just yelling the loudest. And everyone was just trying to throw up ideas of what was doing and no one was really working for the betterment of the team. And I just, I don't know, it was... But you learnt anyway, James. So it was a good... good And and thank you for describing it so vividly for our listeners because they will be able to take what you've just described and and prepare themselves mentally for, you know, if this happens to me, what would I do? Yeah. And the next activity was... It was like a... a, Not not quite a riddle, but a logic problem-solving exercise. So we were given six chocolates and told that one of them was heavier than the rest and we had a, uh, a balancing scale, you know, the uh, kind of like the justice symbol scale, oh, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, not an electronic one, but the one that dips and rises as one's heavier. Old school, I Old think you're school. trying to say, James. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're told you have two ways. So you have two turns, opportunities to weigh and you have six chocolates and you have to find which one's heavier. And it was like a really easy, I mean, I thought it was easy logic problem because as soon as she said go, our team had solved both of them and clicked the button after one second. She was like, what? Like, yeah, it's not that hard. But um, actually a lot of the other groups struggled. But... Look, people think differently, right? Some people are mathematical. Some people are, you know, more into the humanities, more creative. So I think it it depends on your thinking style in terms of how you approach those puzzles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it kind of seemed like it worked against us that we solved it so quick because she just thought we'd heard of it, the problem before. So I don't know about that. but (laughs) That doesn't sound very fair. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just we got daggers from her, but anyway, that that's fine. Um, I'll just claim that I'm a genius or whatever. I think you should. Uh, and then the last one was we had we had a minute to think of and create a ten step tutorial to teach everyone else in the group interview something, anything, and then we had a minute to. Tell our steps and teach the group whatever it is we were wanting to teach. And so what they were trying to test with that was how you could engage and hold yourself and public speak in front of other people, which I understood um, probably a bit too late. I mean, I thought I was engaging and funny and told some jokes and blah, 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 because I told them how to cook two-minute noodles and just took the mickey out of it, essentially. Um, but in hindsight, the best way to do that would have been to pick something active, i.e., you know, teach someone how to 
throw a boxing punch or something like that and then get everyone in the, the room to stand up and sort of follow you and engage. And someone did do that, albeit accidentally, because the group assessor asked them if they wanted everyone to stand up and join. So I, I'd, I'd say that's kind of cheating or an unfair advantage that that person gets to to look better because they were asked to do something. And, but hey, that's life. That happens every day. That's life. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, in hindsight, I would have picked something like, I don't know, how to be an NFL quarterback and just, you know, have some fun with it. You know, a lot of NFL quarterbacks tap the bum of the the person that's about to give them the ball. So I would have, you know, done something funny like that. So, you know, make sure that before you get, get the snap of the ball, you tap the bum of the big person in front of you and... I don't know, just I would have had some fun with it and, and done something active, get them all to get up and, and copy me and, you know, do something or rather something more active than cooking because everyone did cooking. Everyone went straight to cooking and only took up like 30 seconds. So they sort of missed the idea is to engage for a minute and it's not necessarily about the steps but it's about engagement and how you can hold a crowd or public speak and you know they're they're trying to assess whether you'd be a good fit in their you know outgoing in their company and you know that makes sense given we talked about alphaing and you know being assertive and confident and passionate about work you know that's that's what you need in that so you know that that makes total sense in hindsight and I think that Honestly, what you've just described is applicable in every workplace. Most workplaces want engaged, energetic people, happy people that want to come to work and have a nice time and connect with people and enjoy what they do. So no one wants people to come to work unhappy, quiet, sombre. So I think what you just described, James, spot on. I think what they were testing was, one, your ability to design quickly – so I think you said you had you were sort of given the task and then you had to come up with the design of those 10 steps. Design thinking is really important in the workplace and will become more and more important as the world of work changes. Automation is going to bring sort of getting rid of the easy tasks that a lot of people have got away with doing for a long time in work. It'll leave some of the complex work or customer-focused work, which is where the value is, and so design thinking is very, very important. Thinking quickly and thinking through solutions quickly is highly rated and highly valued. So obviously they were looking at how you guys did that, like what you came up with, what exciting ideas you might come up with. And to your point, the people that came up with the non-cooking ideas probably would have stood out because they were a bit more exciting or a bit more engaging or a bit more energetic, whatever. Those probably did stand out. The other thing is, to your point, the second bit was definitely to test your ability to communicate. Presenting, speaking with confidence, influencing, being able to share your ideas, very, very important as well in the workplace. And again, stressing that it's becoming even more important. As problems need to be solved in groups with other people, your ability to be able to work with others, communicate your ideas get others to believe your ideas and move forward with solutions is super critical. So I actually really like that activity. I think that was really good activity to give you guys to do and I think it would have tested a few people's confidence and, and, and readiness 
to show their best self because that's what they would have been looking for. Show us the candidates that are the standouts that can, you know, kind of back themselves to get up there and, and you know, do something exciting. Mm. So was that kind of it, James? Was that sort of the day or the, the interview? Yeah, pretty much. After that, they asked if we had any questions and one guy asked like 10 questions and I left. And did did you get a sense that it was worthwhile? Did What learnings did you get out of it? Because, you know, we've talked along the way, James, that if this one's not the one, it's not the job that, you know, is kind of the, the job that you're looking for, that's okay because every time you have an interview, you have a conversation, you read up information about companies, you get a chance to talk and communicate – all of its learning. So do you kind of look back on it and think it was worthwhile? Absolutely. It prepares me for a group interview at a company where I fit in. Right. um, And can show my authentic self as opposed to feeling a bit uncomfortable the entire time and a bit tense. Um, And that's, that's probably what they wanted. You know, they want people that fit in with their values and that's perfectly okay, you know. It's as much about you know, them finding fits for them as it is about me understanding that I am or I'm not a fit there. So, And also the exercises, um, re- obviously really valuable to have, as I said, because when, when I get to a company that has an assessment centre that I fit in with, the company I fit in with, then, you know, I'll feel more comfortable and can draw on that experience to, to put my best foot forward. Yeah, look, I think that's that, that's really fantastic reflection, James, because you only get better at things by trying and practising, most certainly, and I, I'm really happy to hear that you've taken time to, to debrief it. And obviously, you know, sharing with our listeners as well, that, that's going to be, you know, super helpful for them, those that haven't been through assessment centres, to at least even be able to make some mental models of what it might all be like yeah, and absolutely. how they can think about nice it. It would have been nice to listen to this before I went. <laughs> you funny, James. Anyway, you only learn from doing so. Uh, thank you. Thank you genuinely for sharing with us. Before we actually sign off, we still need to do our episode summary. So here goes. During assessment centres, assessors are looking for people who are mindful, aware, thinking about others, wanting to bring minority voices into the conversation and also find a way to themselves contribute meaningfully in tough situations. The assessors are also looking for how you participate when solving sometimes difficult and complex problems. They want to see what kind of person comes out, particularly when it gets tough. Make sure you take the time to truly listen to what others are saying. Don't just fake it because it's easy to tell. Your aim should not be to get notice, but it should be to help the group move forward in a meaningful way. It's a lot more powerful to ask a question than it is to make a statement. Instead of saying things like, that's not right, or I disagree, you can eloquently pose a question to show mindfulness. For example, thanks for that statement or question. I'm not quite sure what you meant by that. Would you mind taking me through your thinking process so that I can rationalise it? And lastly, don't be afraid to make statements or ask too many questions, but make sure that the language that you choose is softer and is targeted to the whole. Well, I guess that brings us to the conclusion of our assessment centre episode. 
I think there's a lot of richness in what we've talked about today and, uh, yeah. It's, and scarring. Uh, well, you know, a bit of scarring, <laughs> that scar tissue. It's uh, it's not a bad thing to refer to in, in the future. So thank you very much again. Uh, episode, goodness, I don't know what, what we're up to now. I think six. Number six. Who would have thought, James? Uh, join us next time, listeners, for – we'll spend some time with you on the nonverbal communication of interviews. I think it's really important. Studies have shown that between 90 and 93% of any communication is around what is not said, everything that's not sort of content or verbal. But we'll explore that further next time. So thanks for joining. Catch you next time.